0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode thirty-eight of the Noise Podcast, sponsored by Stereo Brown Records. I am your host slash your boy Chris Pew, and I'm joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mister Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you?
1: Could not be better at all. Mate, how about yourself? I'm
0: wicked, man. It's a sunny day. Can't really enjoy it, but I'm going to enjoy what we're going to talk about on this week's episode, man. We've got an unbelievable stack show ahead of us.
1: Indeed, we have.
0: We are a fortnightly rock and metal podcast sponsored by the brilliant folks over at Stereo Brain Records. If you give us a subscription on YouTube and like the video and leave a five-star rating in our podcast, that would be wicked for us. Uh, on our last episode, we reviewed a new EP from Crossfade Species, as well as Bleed From Within's new record, Fracture. You also had my interview with uh, David Sanchez of Havoc on that episode as well. Uh, on this week's episode, holy shit, what a show it is. Uh, we've got our greatest metal album of all time that's continuing. And this week's album reviews come on the new Currents record, The Way It Ends, and the brand new self-titled The Ghost Inside record. As well as that, you've got my Chris Meat special, which was with Trevor from The Black Dahlia Murder. Now, interesting note on that one, actually. Usually, you will see me full-name guests on the show when they're coming. But the way that Trevor's surname is spelled... I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. So before the show, I thought, right, I'm going to go and watch other video interviews that he's done and see how the presenter introduces him and how they say his last name, because I don't want to make myself look this 25 seconds into an interview. Usually that takes me about two minutes. <laughs> so I looked, and everyone just calls him Trevor from the Black Dahlia murder. So his actual surname, I think, is Stranad, S-T-R-N-A-D. But I just called him Trevor from The Black Dahlia Murder because I didn't want to dick myself within 30 seconds. That's why I made the right call, surely, Sam?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, if his second name should just be changed by Deepall 2 from The Black Dahlia Murder, everybody else's life would get immeasurably easier, wouldn't it? Let's if he face. listens, if he listens, Trevor, that would do me a massive favor, you know, if I ever interview you again, just saying. Is, is he the only man in a metal band called Trevor? potentially (laughs) potentially he might be the only one he might not need a second name he could be like prince or madonna (laughs) he could be yeah oh mate there's no other trevor i mean let's not like dave yeah okay you know what i mean like it i don't know man i think you could get away with it i really do stereo brain
0: records who are our wonderful podcast sponsor is a cardiff based label with a really great emerging roster of new talent, uh, one of which, uh, The Nightmares, just play a new single called The Falling Dream. Uh, the link's gonna be in the description of the YouTube video and on the podcast description. So please feel free to go and check that out. They're a really cool kind of like creeper meets pet shop boys pop synth band, man, um, planning to dig and find interesting there we're going to get the show rolling because there's a lot of really great stuff and interesting stuff to talk about so sam if you could introduce to me the 14th greatest metal album of all time please it is judas priest british steel can i backdrop this discussion with yeah two weeks ago when we finished the last show i always ask you oh what's the next album going to be and you said <laughs> the next album is going to be british Steel by judas priest but don't worry because after that, we're going to do, and then you went on to list me the next album. Yeah. And the second the second you did that, I thought, Sam doesn't think I'm going to like this. Like, Sam's trying to cushion a blow on me already. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I yeah. did, I, I wondered why. I, I was like, okay, because of all the albums that you've ever told me to listen to, I don't think you've ever done that before. Like, being so adamant of being like, okay, but don't worry, because this is next. So I went into yeah. this, I went into this kind of thinking, right, there's going to be something about this album that Sam is just going to think I'm going to really, really dislike. And I wouldn't say there's anything on the album that I massively dislike, but there's a fair bit that I don't. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously this record came out in 1980. Yes. So 40 years ago. This so, year,
1: yeah, this yes. year. Yeah.
0: So the landscape of like, alternative music literally was completely different back then. Indeed. Like, there are literally no similarities between the landscape of metal in 1980 and in 2020. I don't believe so, anyway. In terms of positioning of the genre on uh, radio, etc. In terms of publication of the genre in magazines, etc., in terms of clothing the band wears, in terms of lyrical content. I just don't think there's any similarities uh, now. So I really tried to listen to this objectively and understand that it's a very, obviously it's an important record. Mm -hmm. It would have laid a lot of groundwork for what other bands would like to come on and turn to something that I find more of an allegiance to. If I just straight to ask you, what did you think I wouldn't like about this album? Because you know me obviously extremely well. What did you expect of my problems with me? Um, the music. <laughs> um, right, okay. Well, that would be a problem, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, for you, it sounds like this album, it's... If you remove the context and just put yourself into it, a person that didn't, that hasn't listened to it before it would sound to you like every heavy metal cliche, Mm. um, that you've, you've already experienced. It would sound familiar to you, despite the fact that you'd never heard it simply because you've heard so much like it before, um, which I think you'd find tedious, but when you remove the context it is difficult to judge it that way you've gotta you gotta remember obviously that it sounds like so much you've heard since because so much after it has copied it um but yeah i there's no there's no screaming uh, there's no brutality here. this is not a heavy album um some of the guitar work is good um but not as transcendent as it as it is in recent years in metal. I just think you'd find it. to be frank. Do you think this album has aged well? That's a
0: tough question. Mate, I think this album has aged horrendously. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. This Uh, sounds 40 years old.
1: Yeah, it is old. It is old. It hasn't aged as well as some of the other albums that came out this year. This year, um, as a side note, one of the all-time great years in heavy metal. Um, You got Ace of Spades, Motorhead, uh, Back in Black, ACDC, Blizzard of Oz, Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, The year later, you got Moving Pictures by Rush. Uh, And this, um, you got the second Iron Maiden album, like ever. Um, Like It was massive for for heavy metal. It, It really set the tone. Uh, But yeah, I think Judas Priest, this album in particular, has not aged as well as the other albums Judas Priest has put together and has not aged as well as some of its contemporaries. Like if I played you Back in Black, which to no one's surprise is coming up in this list at some point, um, I don't think you'd have the same reservations in terms of the production and the sound as you do with Judas Priest. Despite the fact they both came out the same year,
0: interesting little thought I had when I was listening to this: How do you think this album would have been received if it came out in nineteen eighty-eight? Because this album was, was received well, and yeah. it is I have done research and it is looked at as a cornerstone, yes. uh, and like a real important part of heavy metal history, um, massively. But within a within within a decade, in fact, less than a decade, heavy metal. Had completely changed from yeah. this album. How do you think this album would have done had it come out in 1988?
1: Um, probably poorly, considering that Judas Priest themselves had abandoned this style of song right, okay. by 1988 themselves. Right. Okay, I wasn't by, aware of that. So by the time 88 came around, they were doing Painkiller. Are you familiar with Painkiller? It's like they, it's their faster period when they, they, they almost didn't. It wasn't thrash metal, but it was as close as Judas Priest were willing to get to thrash metal. And it was heavy, right. and they actually down tuned the guitars in the late eighties, which was seen as quite a quite a brave step. Right. But the thing is, the thing is, you have to remember is that the, this album is the gateway between the metal that we had in the eighties and the metal that we had in the seventies. Right? You think of heavy metal in the seventies, you think Sabbath, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, right? don't think you don't think fast you just don't um it's it's slow it's heavy right it's monotonous like sabbath never played a, a song faster than what 180 beats a minute you know and judas priest and obviously iron maiden as well during this period of time um probably more so maiden but that's why they're higher up in the list um but um really kick-started how metal sounded in the 80s not like acdc but like metal um with twin harmony guitars with fast-paced songs and with choruses i had a conversation with my with my dad earlier today about this album and he said (laughs) um i really loved heavy metal during 1980 but i didn't buy this album because it felt too poppy in the moment. Right, right, okay. And I thought that was interesting. I was like, what do yeah, you mean? He was yeah, like, well, yeah. there, were, there, were, there were like, um, he was like, well, there were two or three cardinal sins that a metal band could do during this period of time because it was all about credibility. You know, we just had punk in the late 70s and then we just started this heavy metal thing. It was all about, you know, sticking your two fingers up and not being a pop band. Like there were, you know, if you, if you were seen to be like poppy in any way, it was like you lost credibility amongst your audience, which is why Queen was stereotypically not very popular amongst heavy metal fans. They were a massive rock band and a pop band. But if you asked like heavy metal fans, Queen were not popular because of that, they were seen as a pop band. And it's the same thing here with Judas Priest. They were they were seen as a good heavy metal band that went commercial, um, in the same way that like, you know, like your White Snake and Van Halens did later. And this was actually seen as a bit of a turnoff by the, 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 the mainstream heavy the, the heavy metal audience, the underground heavy metal audience, that would would that later adopt your Metallicas as your slayers, your iron maidens. but the thing is is what Judas Priest did here it feels like we're being, even though it sounds like we're being very negative about this album, it, it's despite all that that it, it's maintained its, its success and impact. Um, what Judas Priest did, despite its lack of popularity amongst some of the hardcore heavy metal fans, is it pushed heavy metal into the '80s. And gave heavy metal a, a spotlight and a collection of hits and helped propel heavy metal into the charts. And if you look at the 1980s as a cultural phenomenon, as a decade long cultural phenomenon, heavy metal is a massive part of it. Some of the biggest bands in the 1980s are rock bands, almost exclusively, actually. If you take out, you know, Madonna and Prince and Michael Jackson. Whitney Houston. Everyone else is a rock band. Springsteen, U2, yeah, Queen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, bon Jovi. Um, rock and Roll was was massive. You know what I mean? Of the 20 biggest bands on the planet every year in the nineteen eighties, you'd say about ten or twelve of them were rock bands or heavy metal bands in terms of, you know, their their you know appearance at crowds and things like that. And Judas Priest were, were part of the the gateway between the, the, the end of the seventies where you'd lost, um, Zeppelin were falling apart. Deep Purple had split in, split up. Um, I'm trying to think of other other like great '70s bands, but but really it was a it was a it was definitely a a point in history. Um, Ozzy Osbourne had, had obviously started to form his solo stuff as well. Um, we didn't have Metallica or Iron Maiden yet, so Judas Priest filled this transitional period that helped propel us. Into Maiden and Metallica and having thrash metal and up, upbeat and fast-paced music, and I agree with you. I agree with your initial thing. This is why I was a bit reticent to to have you listen to this. I almost wanted you to be like, you know what, Sam? I'll just take your word for it. <laughs> and we'll just will just sort of say, oh, I, it's really good and historic, and I don't have to have you listen to it then, because um, I was I was afraid I'd get like three days worth of like, Sam. But, <laughs> <laughs> do we have to do this <laughs> sort of messages um, for, the, for a few days. But what it did at the time was it kicked the door open to what metal could be from a mainstream perspective and what metal could be throughout that decade and without which we may not have had the commercial success that kept alive bands such as Metallica and Iron Maiden throughout the 1980s. And we might metal may have just died on its arse because it was already going downhill by the late 70s because a lot of the big bands are splitting up so judas priest hep helped keep metal relevant and helped change the face of what metal was even though now it hasn't stood the test of time as well as some of the other band some of the other albums here it's just i think judas priest allowed heavy metal to walk before other bands took it running if that made sense
0: We said this a million times. Like you're much more of a metal historian, and I caught on much later than you. And that does sometimes play a huge part when we do things like this because, yeah, I guess for me it's kind of like watching the original Psycho. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah.
1: In the in the moment, it's it's yeah. Like watch go and watch back and watching like The Exorcist.
0: Yeah, like, like because of, wh- because of when I caught on, and where we are now, it's really incredibly difficult for me to, like, transport myself and pretend I'm sitting in my chair in 1980. Like, professional wrestling's a really good example of this as well. Like, obviously, I, I love pro wrestling. Like, I understand that Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant were massive professional wrestling and really were cornerstones of the business, but... Watching their matches in 1980 is fucking boring for me. Because I yeah. caught on in the late 90s where wrestling was just completely different by then. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of like that here. Like I get it, but <laughs> a lot of this just feels so outdated to me that I, I find it difficult to just transport myself back and... Yeah. And listen with different ears. But with that said, you know, Highway to Hell came out the year before this. I thought that record was great. I really enjoyed that. Like, I could happily yeah. listen to that record again once a week for the rest of my life. I thought it was really good. It was, you know, with this out, there's just a few things. Like, I'm not a massive on Rob Halford's vocals for a start.
1: You, I, you don't and, think he, you, I don't think most, a, yeah, people, I don't think he's
0: a I don't think he's a tremendous vocalist. So I I I, just, I I got very little from his vocals, and there
1: are good moments on this album. He's I got really. quite a range, hasn't he? You know, he can he can, he can do a variety of different notes. Not all of which you'd want him to do, but he yeah. can do them.
0: There are some really good moments on this record. Of course, there are um, opening rift of rapid fire. I'm into mm-hmm. it. Um, Breaking the Law is, of course, legendary, and it's a song that, obviously, I already knew of Judas Priest, because how could you be into heavy metal and not know that record? Yeah. Uh, that song, sorry. A chorus is infectious as fuck on Breaking the Law. You, like I say, uh, if you're into heavy metal, you'll just know that song.
2: Yeah, There's, there's
0: like, a, a bass line and, like, a funky blues vibe to the opening of The Rage, which I liked. And uh, uh, Rob Halford said in, in an interview, because I, I was doing some research and stuff, that And this was in 2015, I think. But he said, looking back, that that he does feel like ACDC did kind of influence the album. I think you can actually hear that on You Don't Have to Be Old to Be Wise, Uh, which is is a good song, man. Uh, Really bending solo on it as well, which I really liked. Yeah, some great guitar work on this. But the best part of the whole album is the harmony that opens Red, White and Blue. And it wasn't even on the original album. (laughs) <laughs> it's on the, it, was on the, it was on the special edition or remastered. Yeah. Um, and Sam, what are some of these lyrics? Oh dear. Mate, oh. I, I, I went to special effort to oh. write some of them down. Wow. Right. So, uh, okay. Here's a couple of examples. Grind that looking for meat. Grind that wants you to eat. What? <laughs> united, united, united we stand. United we never shall fall. United, united we stand, united we stand one and all. And then a personal favourite, living after midnight, rocking till the dawn, loving till the evening when I'm gone. Now, I understand, again, it's 1980 and there's not really a massive amount of competition or bands that have taken metal into new areas yet but come on even objectively this is that is wank if asking Alexandria wrote those lyrics mate we would absolutely obliterate them
1: absolutely uh, absolutely um but it's it's off the time isn't it that, that, that's all that, that's all that can be that's all that I can say about that it, it it's it was deliberately written to be uh easy and listenable and Christ. easy to Easy to swallow, I guess. That's the only, that's the only, the, my only defense, and that's not really a defense, is it? These lyrics are shit. Ah, but Chris, they're deliberately shit. Um, also,
0: also, sorry, so, just, I want to ask you a question about these, about the lyrics, because again, I was reading that apparently previous Judas Priest records had like much darker themes on them. Can, yeah, can yeah, you confirm or deny?
1: I can confirm. This is actually lighter. This is also sort of saying, the, of the conversation with my old man, this is, this was a deliberate commercial move of the priest right with that with the lyrics on the previous records better i wouldn't say better <laughs> fucking hell
0: <laughs> <laughs> mate these are pretty rough um like I, said, I mean those are just three the ones that I picked out like mate like but you said
1: four four blogs from tipton in the late 70s i mean you're not expecting shakespeare <laughs> no and that's why i said like
0: obviously in the 1980s metal that like, obviously it hasn't really gone anywhere yet because it's it's still a relatively new concept theoretically I only really started coming around in the the mid 70s so come 1980 there's still really not a lot of competition about uh, out there in terms of like real strong presence yeah, but, I would agree. I would agree. But like, mate, like, I can see why people liked this album in 1980, but I think time has damaged this album horrendously.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, taking away in the moment is it's as in a vacuum is always going to be difficult for, for for this sort of album. But the reason that it's here is the influence. Can you hear the blueprints that? Judas Priest, among other bands, laid down. Can you see why yes. yeah, bands growing up would have been like, I grew up listening to Judas Priest and now I picked up guitar. Do You know, the comedy guitars and the song structures. The, yeah. You know what I mean? You can, you can draw a line. Right? I can't. I'm not, I, I'm I not can. completely mental. No, no, no. You, you absolutely can. You are correct.
0: But with me knowing what I know now, this album just makes me more grateful that Metallica and Slayer came around. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's, that's what I'm saying. You've got to think, between 1979 and 1985, the biggest metal bands in the world, heavy metal bands in the world, were Ozzy Osbourne whenever he was sober enough to play, early Motley Crue, Judas Priest, ACDC, who are at best a hard rock album with some heavy metal influences, which is the reason why they're in this, but not whatever. And that's kind of it. We Like, maybe Dio, maybe Rainbow, maybe Motorhead. You know, in terms of metal, what we know now as metal didn't really come along until 82, 83, when you got Iron Maiden with Number of the Beast, Metallica, Slayer, etc. through the mid-late 80s. You think about that four-year period, it was pretty fucking slim pickings, you know what I mean? So Judas Priest are one of the bands that maintained hard rock and heavy metal. And like I said, allowed metal to walk before it ran from the, in, in the middle, in the in the middle, late eighties in its high day period from that point onwards. Uh, because if you were if you were into rock and metal music in like the late seventies, like you really didn't have a lot of choice. It was like, oh, I've got to better listen to this Judas Priest or I'm fucking at the bus listening to David Berry albums. Just to finish off, do you like this album? Are You like as a fan, as a
0: like as a person, as 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 Sam Lewis, mate. The uh, the, 20, so, the 27 so. year old metal fan.
1: <laughs> I guess I should be able to speak for him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do not. <laughs> uh, I, I, I I don't like this album. In fact, um, and, and this is this is the point I'm trying to make. This is not. This is why this is not my list. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is. Yeah. I try, I try, I've tried to create the list, which unfortunately has to include some albums that I dislike. Um, but no, I only listen to this sparingly for this podcast um, because I, oh. I, I already, I already, you know what I mean? I'd already heard it and, and knew a fair bit about it, and be it's not very good for me. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> but but I don't have to love every impactful heavy metal album. No, I was you just that, curious.
0: I was curious. You know, no,
1: no, no yeah, yeah, but um, no, you you wouldn't catch me jamming to United in my in my spare time. Thank fuck. Me and <laughs> you might not be so
0: close if if you could be caught. Why
1: well, should I start putting it on at pre-drinks? Ah,
0: oh, hugging don't, you.
1: Don't, man. United we stand. Go on, Chris. United we stand.
0: United we stand, one and all.
1: <laughs> fuck off. You know, he actually Jesus. they actually did uh, an, an album before this a song that's very similar to United right. um, that they used to play before Wolves games. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's uh, take, it's called take on the world and it's very similar. It's like, you know, we're all going to take on the world today. Blah, 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 and it's, it's, it's fucking horrendous. Um, but they used to play it as the Wolves as the Wolves players walked out the tunnel. I think this is in between li- various liquidator phases at the Molyneux.
0: I'm going to do my absolute best to make sure I never hear that
1: song for the rest of my life. I'm going to try and chase you around with it. <laughs> and just get the you in the same room, just... <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to be like, what's that? It's like that 80s film where I'm just like waiting outside your house, holding the boombox <laughs> above my head. <laughs> just playing terrible Judas Priest songs. Nice. <laughs> Shouting things like, it's transcendent. It's transcendent. <laughs>
2: i have
0: have my window three seconds it fucking (laughs) yeah
1: yeah but yeah like the final word on priest is yeah hasn't aged well for your average mid-20s metal fan or late 20s in our case cries uh but (laughs) it has it has like it's helped one of the main bands that have laid the blueprint for big commercial metal that literally changed the decade and cemented metal's popularity for millions and millions of people. So while it is not a personal favourite of mine, mate, you look at any top 100 metal list and I've, I think I've read every single one that's out there. um, Judas Priest have at least four or five albums in most top hundreds or top fifties because of the reverence they have on their fans and the impact I've had on metal down the road. And without Judas Priest, we may not be in such a successful position, at least not in that decade. Metal may not have been in such a successful position, and for that, it deserves recognition.
0: I'm going to move on to the new Currents record, The Way Ends. is out on June 5th via Sharp Town Records. It's probably the first album that Currents have released where there's, like, real eyes on them. Uh, they did a record which was their first under the Current lineup. Um, and a call called the place I feel safest, and then they did uh, an EP called "I Let the Devil in." Last uh, twenty, uh, right at the very end of twenty eighteen, in fact, I remember vividly getting the EP and me, you, and our other best friend, Leon, were driving back from fucking some city that we'd been in and getting pissed the night before. And I was just blasting the EP nonstop because I'd only recently got into Currents at that point. Yeah. And I, there was this song called Into Despair that I fucking love the breakdown on. Not I a hangar
1: of a friendly playlist, if I remember. There
0: rarely are, mate, when, when I'm in the front <laughs> seat. Um, and I, I was just really into the current style of metalcore. And I think that... This is their first album where they are. They've got the loan-up cemented. People are, are looking and expecting for it to at least be good, and I think this is really, really good, Sam.
1: Uh, yeah, I think this is terrific. Um, this is this is, a, this is another contender for um, for an album of the year. Oh, right, okay, um, for me. Um, up there with Glaris. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think it's as good, but it's um, it's not far off. What it what it what it what it has in Spades alongside its heaviness, obviously, and it's just it's just such a meaty, thick album. What it has in Absolute Spades is it feels really textured, really layered, really complete album. And what I mean by that is that sometimes you hear a metalcore album or a metal album in general, actually, and you find yourself wishing that they did something else as well as they did one particular thing. Like, you listen to a certain album, you think, oh, their the, the breakdowns are brilliant, but the choruses are shite. Or you listen to it and say, oh, the, the melodic elements of this band are really good, but the riff work's a little bit sloppy or the production's a little bit sloppy. Or you listen to a, uh, an album by Ask and Alexandria and you think, I wish this didn't exist. And, <laughs> um... <laughs> uh, here with Currents, it, it's a real all-rounder. The, the, the melodic sections are fantastic. The instrumentation is brilliant. The production is outstanding. Um, it, the guitar tone is dark and deep and almost guttural in itself. Um, the songs are well chosen, well put together and well ordered. And there are a couple of songs on here that are transcendently fantastic metalcore songs. Flag to Wave is amazing. Quality. Pol- poverty of Self is fucking incredible.
0: Oh, mate. The breakdown in that where uh, Brian screams, the classic is separate, watches the
1: guillotine swings. Unreal. It's fucking dirt. Unfucking un- believable. Um, There are so many moments of brilliance on this album. I also don't feel, interestingly, um, which is nice, refreshingly actually, I also don't feel like the instrumentation's been shoved down my throat. Sometimes I get, you get metal bands that are like, look how good we are. Here's six minutes showing you. And it, I get that all the time. And after sort of like eight or nine tracks, it's like, I, I get it. Um, whereas this, there's a lovely balance between where the instrumentation and the songs sort of blend together. And I've heard Currents before, and uh, uh, this is their best work for me. Um, because I really think that the vocalist has really put it together on this album. Absolutely. Um, There are some moments here of huge choruses, huge, huge choruses. And his, his voice is perfectly suited to the way that I feel like I can enjoy the melody of the album without actually feeling like it's deliberately commercialized or a little cheesy, which is, sometimes a criticism of other of other bands which feels a bit forced this feels very natural, and even the choruses feel dark and i and I really like that um so yeah i'm um I'm a very big fan of this, so I think this is terrific one of the interesting points of this album that
0: you you know is important that we dissect is that You know, this is an album that does stick to the foundations of metalcore. And it's got that kind of gent core that the likes of Järter and Northlane kind of like really brought through and mastered. However, and you alluded to it, there's a massive leap from uh, the vocalist Brian here. Like, yes, this is very much your standard metalcore album that you would expect with where Modern Metalcore is in 2020. But for Currents, this is like a real shape shift, this is. And mm. it's interesting how, if you listen back through Currents discography, and I do think this is the first time you've, you have sat down and listened to a Currents album in full.
1: Yeah, I think, I think
0: so too. I've, yeah. I've, I've flicked through their stuff before. But if you were to sit down again and go backwards, you would hear how... Brian's abilities and bravery to try melodic vocals. uh, uh, They build uh, like ever so slightly. You can see that things are running along just smoothly enough as albums and releases come. And then here we are. We've got to the point where On The Way ends. Brian is now a fully fleshed, ready-to-hit-it vocalist that can do... I mean, Brian's got an amazing screen. Yes. Really like harsh cutting scream, but now his melodic vocals are, are at a point where he can change the activity of the track really easily and really fucking well. And I think there is something also to be said for the guitarists Chris Wise and Ryan Castaldi, man, they're fucking wicked on this album. That one, two of A Flag to Wave and Poverty of Self, it just reinforces the classic current sound. But I actually find my greatest area of enjoyment on the record is probably the final three songs. Um, because... Yeah, the, the, the,
1: the, the conclusion of this album is also magnificent. Like, Second Skin, How I Fall Apart and Better mm-hmm.
0: Days are, are, are songs that Currents could not have wrote two years ago. They would not have tried to write those songs. They couldn't have because Brian probably wasn't in a position where he could carry it to the quality. Oh, maybe he could have done them, but to carry them to this quality, I don't believe that he would have been able to do so. And those three songs to close, that triple punch to close out this album, fucking beautiful. The, The way he performs, the chorus on Second Skin, massive, huge. Polaris-level chorus, and that is a compliment, because Polaris are fucking superb at rising the metalcore chorus. Yes. And I think maybe the most exciting thing about this band, this album, is that I'm sitting here thinking there's probably room for Currents to grow even further, for Brian to get even better, and then Currents are rolling up their swinging punches, because I think that this album, and Currents have always been a band that if you were to break down in terms of quality, that would always have been there. But now they've got this extra arm now. Now they've got this extra arm of melody and vocal hook, which, as we are fully aware in sub-genres in 2020, fucking really helps bring in a new crowd. Oh, that's, is-
1: that, that's, the, that's the game changer. If you can add a chorus to the to, to your songs and a melodic turn, that's the, um, that's the Pandora's box.
0: Well, it's about doing it well, isn't it? Yeah, oh absolutely. Absolutely. Because if this was a record that sounds exactly the same, but Brian was seventy percent as good as he is now, I think me and you are sat here saying, Oh man, guitarists are great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As we often as we often are with several, um with several metalcore releases in general. Like I said, I think this is um a really accomplished a really accomplished album and i and I, I think it, it, it combines so many brilliant elements of great metalcore from the from the melodic from the melodic stuff to the instrumentation to 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 the percussion to to obviously the the vocal trans transformation that you that you've mentioned there that there's a real depth and integrity um to the music here and i, I can't i can't speak highly enough of it actually it's a I I I'm I'm I'm, re- I'm re- I've been really one off by this album I think it's terrific. I th- the guitar tone is marvelous. So thick and fucking dirty and but at the same time it it's not raw and it hasn't it's not through a lack of production it's not abrasive. It's it's just really polished uh, and and perfect, perfectly suits with what they're trying to what they're trying to get across here. I think this is a really 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 well done album couldn't agree more man i think this is
0: fucking great it's really good um currents they've been like they've been like the gold finders band in metalcore in a sense do you know what I mean you have to kind of you've had to kind of dig to find them previously yeah. they haven't been like bands that you find Polaris, then you immediately see Currents because they're on the same kind of level, even though they're on the same record label, I believe. Um, but you see what I'm saying. You've had to like dig to find Currents. I don't think that'll be the case after this album comes out.
1: I, th- I think you're right, mate. I,
0: I think I think within three months, if you like Polaris, you will also like Currents because you'll find them directly after. Going to move on to... Uh, Main event of the show before my interview with Trevor from the Black Dahlia Murder comes in. Still not brave enough to pretend what his surname is. The Ghost Inside's self-titled album. Fucking hell! Wow. Um, Before actually we get into the the review, we were going to do the New Aisle Store album, uh, which Curse of the Crystal Coke, which came out uh, on Friday. Curse of the fucking what? Curse. Yes. Curse of the Crystal Coconut, I think that's what it was called anyway. That was the plan.
1: Um, that's a level on Crash Bandicoot, that's not an album title.
0: <laughs> I knew that we would both just really dislike the album. They're a metal band that are not aimed at me and you at all. I was kind of dreading it, but we hadn't received the Ghost Inside album yet. I wasn't sure whether we were going to at all. So I thought, right, we're going to have to go ahead with Ail Storm and just try and be objective and see if we enjoy it. And then there it pops, the new Ghost Inside album. Wow. Um, fuck. Uh, how do I start this? Um, of all the, like, the strictly metalcore bands, uh, the kind that you would see on, on Warp Tour or Slam Dunk, you know, the August Burns Red of Mice and Men, Early, Assy- early Asking Alexandria, we Came As Romans, Fit For A King, In Hearts Way. You know where I'm going with this, etc. Right. The Ghost Inside have always been my favourite. And for most, it's really not close. Like I've always thought that The Ghost Inside are just miles ahead of most modern metalcore bands. And for those who aren't aware, towards the end of 2015 in November, uh, there was, they had a massive... Uh, road accidents they were involved in. Uh, the driver of their tour bus crashed into an 18-wheeler. Both drivers died. Um, band members had to have several, several upon several upon several surgeries. Andrew, the drummer, lost his leg. And I was just glad they were alive. And I, I, you know, I didn't want the, another album. I, that wasn't even a thought of mine when I saw the news. I wasn't thinking even along the idea of, God, I hope they can play uh, playing an album again one day or tour again. I was just glad they were alive and hopefully they could live a normal life again. And then, you know, things get announced. They, they do that comeback show in California, I believe it was. And then there's this new album that's coming. And I was just blown away. And b- before we get into the album, you know, this is a victory of human perseverance of the greatest, most ridiculous magnitude. And I had to remove all of my emotions before listening to this album and review it objectively because sometimes you can like, you can will an album to be good so much that you find yourself having a connection with it because you're forced to by circumstance as opposed to, the album's great. I remember um, an Oasis album called Standing on the Shoulder of Giants. Uh, like, it came out in, like, 2000. And people were like, oh, my God, new fucking Oasis album, new fucking Oasis album. And you listen to that album, it's not actually great. It's all right. There's a few really good songs and it. The intro, fucking in the bushes, is brilliant. But other than that, it's bang average. And people had to, like, convince themselves that they loved it because it was a new Oasis album. And I really didn't want to do that with this album. So I just forced myself to look at it objectively and pretend that it was like no like August 2015 when this album came out, which was difficult, but I did manage. And even, you know, even with all that said, objectively, forget the circumstance. The circumstances are is amazing. They're amazing. They're incredible inspirational human beings. I think this album is fucking incredible. I absolutely adore this album, Sam. Okay. I think that I saw uh, Jonathan Vigil, the vocalist, he said in the Metal Hammer interview that there's only one song on the album that directly talks about the accident. And I thought, surely not. But it turns out that he's actually right. A lot of the moments on this album where the band are referencing the past are nuanced, and I fucking love that. Like, the album opens up, uh, the opening track uh, 1333, and it's a solo fill from their fucking unbelievable, incredible, inspirational drummer Andrew T- uh, Tkaczyk. It's no coincidence, and just hearing that drum fill from him, like I got really emotional because that guy has had to reteach himself the drums with one fucking leg. How he's done this, I j- I just do not know. Um, then there's like. There's the there's the mosh call of um, from the ashes brought back to life. This one who sounded a sacrifice and still alive. So sick by the way that fucking breakdown. And then when the second track comes in, the second I heard, uh, still alive. This is the second I heard the clean guitar open on that song. I knew that the band I loved, uh, literally, hadn't gone anywhere. And um, what 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 do you think about this? As someone who was, I don't believe you
1: ever listened to the guys inside before. I had a bit, um, but. This is terrific this is a great, this is a great this is a great metal album from a great metalcore band and even if you remove the context it would still be a great metalcore album um but when you add you add the you add the context it's both a great metalcore album and an extraordinary achievement um for it to be this good um considering the circumstances that 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 surrounded its its, its conception um i think from from start to finish it, no, I'd heard Ghost Inside before, but not not to any particular depth. But if you were to take if you were to take someone that had never heard Ghost Inside at all and that they were like um a, a big metal fan that just happened to 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 stumble across, and you said, you know, this is the band, they're really big. Can you guess why? And that would be fairly easy based on listening to this album. Um, first things first, um, what I like I like about Ghost Inside, particularly on this on this record, is that the the breakdowns never feel um, tokenistic. Uh, it, it, it fits love it fits beautifully into the to, to the path pathway of the, and the passage of the song. Um, but there is a real percussive. I don't know whether this was a deliberate choice for the album, but there's a real per- percussive uh, beating heart at the centre of this album, constantly um, where it's it's so centered on the rhythm guitarist and the drums as the, as the center of this album, that the whole thing has this sort of punishing bullying rhythm to it throughout. Whereas even in the melodic parts, there is like a, a a beating drum, literally and figuratively um, breaking its way through the album. I think that's the thing. and I think, Sometimes it, it breaks into real, real moments of melody, but they are only momentary transitions away from what is an incredibly impressive and incredibly heavy, um, incredibly heavy album. I, I think, I think this is really, I think this is really, really, really terrific. Um, and I'm obviously incredibly impressed by the by the drumming performance, even outside. Of the fact that he's doing this on one limb, and I think the way that the that they've structured the kit and the the, the the triggers on the kick pedal around him to be able to do it in the way that he does, I think is 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 terrific. But can I just add something on the on on the, this drumming thing? I, I wanted to yeah, I wanted please. to mention um, please when you when you play drums when you play the kick pedal, right? You've got one pedal under each foot usually, especially metal, right? And what you tend to do is if you can imagine, um, right, as you're hitting the kick pedal, Chris, I want you to do me a favour as you listen to this. This is going to sound really strange. I know we're on a yeah. podcast, but, do, but bear with me, okay? Yeah. Can you, as you, you know, you're sitting down in your chair right now, can you do me a favour and can you lift your heels up so you're just resting your feet on the balls of your feet? Yeah. Can you do that now? <laughs> yeah. Right, so your heels are up almost as if you're wearing stilettos. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you move your legs left and right? As you're doing so, keeping your feet on the balls of your feet, right? Almost as if you like, almost as if you're running, you know, left, right, left, right, left, right. Oh yeah, but, I see what you mean. But yeah. you're not actually like moving forward. You're just moving your legs in that motion, right? Yeah, yeah I see what you mean now. Yeah. That's that's usually how, that's usually how you play a double kick pedal. Now, oh, yeah. if you take the guy's feet away, how the fuck is he gonna? How the fuck is he gonna do that? Like, just to point out how difficult that is. You, you tend to play the kick drum constantly in that position. You never have your feet down usually because it gives you much more dexterity to have your feet up. You can move yeah. them quicker. So if, you're, if the entire movement of the kick pedal is based on the balls of your feet, right, not your thighs, they just tend to just stay stationary, the balls of your feet and the dexterity between your, between your feet, taking that foot away and then still asking him to do something like this is incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. Um, it would be like asking someone to twirl a fork between their hands if you then, if you also took away their middle finger and index finger.
0: Yeah.
1: It just takes away that dexterity and you just sort of... That's what I'm trying to get. I here that's how difficult it is. Because if he was playing ACDC, he might not even need a second leg for the start. But if he was playing <laughs> ACDC, he'd still be able to use his thigh just to do that. Dumb, dumb, yeah, dumb yeah. on the beat. Because that's easy. All you have to do is move your whole leg once every four bars. But with metal, where the notes are so quick and dexterous, you really have to rely on your actual feet. So for him to develop his thigh, essentially, the top half of his leg, to be as dexterous, to be able to play um, some, of these, some of these kick pedal fills and some of the clicks and stuff. And I don't think he's ever going to play like Dave Lombardo, unfortunately because of the nature of his accident. But the fact that he can even do metalcore to this standard is sensational. Sensational. And actually, by taking away all of the kick pedal stuff, or at least simplifying some of the kick pedal stuff that he's, that, that he's done in this, I think actually the drums are more powerful. Not because of the context of the argument, because the way that he's playing. It's more simplistic. It's more impactful. And it allows the rest of the song to breathe. And some of these songs are absolutely terrific. I think, I think the opening of this album, just to have a look from, from 1333. And I think that's, I, I agree with you that it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a, even for me, as not a big fan of the band as yourself. It's a spine chilling moment. Yeah, it, it starts is. off with a drum fill and it, and it's an incredible touch. And I, and I really respect the band for doing that, but um, still alive, oh. um, the outcast um, begin again in the aftermath, the two bookends uh, as well. And, I love Michael Brake and Phoenix Rise too. Um I just think that this is a wonderful combination of, of of one of the more talented metal bands that we have in the scene at the moment. And it it's a it's a reaffirmation that it's that the ghost insider are, are on this trajectory that should really put them alongside Parkway Driving Architects and other metal bands. And and you know more about this than I do, especially this modern metalcore scene. Is there a better or bigger or more impactful American metalcore band than The Ghost Inside? No. So I was, I was trying to think of this. I don't think that there is. No, there's not. So for this band to return, would you argue, is, is not just great, but it's really important, yes. for metalcore. Oh, my God, yes, absolutely. It, it, we, need, we need The Ghost Inside, especially for, especially for, our, for our friends over in America, where, where these bands tend not to not to it up from the regularities they're doing like Australia and England and things like that. So this is massive for the scene. And I think this album reaffirms their return, but also reconfirms that they can be what they have been leading up to this point. And they have the room to grow into one of the bigger bands we have at the moment, because there's no reason listening to this album just in isolation. There's no reason why the ghost inside shouldn't be playing in front of 15,000 people. I absolutely agree. I'm not, I'm not saying they should be playing Wembley, but there's no reason why ghost inside shouldn't headline rock city and and various like sort of medium sized arenas um, across, across the country and across Europe. And I I have a feeling that they might because of the, because of the wave of support and, and their popularity as well. Um, there's the only the only and it is only a very small criticism from a listener like myself the only small criticism i have on the music of the album is sometimes the the choruses are a little just a touch on on the cheesy side a little bit but only very slightly but i would say overall um what the what the band do brilliantly here in a similar way to currents is i don't feel like i'm being beaten over the head by instrumentation i feel like everything's there it's beautifully balanced and really, really well put together. And there are a few bands that do the light guitar work over heavy or accenting heavy music with light guitar work simultaneously quite like The Ghost Inside, Um, to this effect, really. Uh, While She Sleeps, I think, are really good at this, where you get like clean guitar riffs over really heavy songs, and the juxtaposition works really well. And I think The Ghost Inside are particularly good at the... You know what I mean? Like the high pitched echo guitar rift, um, combined with the heavy downturned um rhythm guitar as well. And I think that's really, really terrific. But overall, I think this is um like I said, even without the context, this is a terrific, great metalcore album that will return this band to the upper tier of metalcore bands around the world. And when you add context, it's probably one of the great um achievements in metal of the last couple of years. It, it goes along with Architects writing Holy Hell. Yeah, it, it, goes al- it, it goes along with um, Metallica writing Unjustice for All after, after Cliff Burton died. It, it's that sort of... It, it goes along with ACDC writing Back in Black after Bon Scott died. It goes along with that sort of ridiculous situation and adversity and the band coming out of it, if possible, stronger. You made a lot
0: of great points then, but one of them was that Ghost Inside are very important, and, and you're absolutely right, and I can prove that by. Their show at Brixton Academy, which was supposed to be this July, but has been postponed to next July, which I was very fortunate enough to get tickets to, sold out in three minutes. They oh, sold that. They, they sold out a 5,500-capacity a a uh, venue in three minutes in the UK. Whichever support bands they choose to be on that show will be fucking huge for them. Because, 100%. Because ev- they can be very confident that at least 75% of that cre- of those ticket sales will show up at Doors. And they'll be there to support Metalcore. And I mentioned that the outdoor show, The Ghost Inside... Um, a headline in, in America. The Ghost Inside, every time I die, straight from the path and wage war. Now, every time I die, are a legendary band regardless and they're veterans. But straight from the path and wage war, they're still, I mean, straight from the path have been going for over a decade. But in terms of, in terms of presence, straight from the path are still in their infancy and so are wage war. What a massive, a massive opportunity for them to be on an outdoor show headlined by the ghost inside. And fucking tens of thousands of people will be there. Yeah. like you, you made a tremendous point of how important this album is, uh, this return is. This was the album that it couldn't have been made. How could this possibly be? But yet here we are. Here we are, we're listening to this absolutely fucking brilliant piece of music. I don't think any other band in this genre could do a song like The Outcast as well as The Ghost Inside. It's got that brutal-as-fuck start, and then you can hear, like, um, Zach Johnson. I fucking love his lead guitar. You can hear his clean lines just building underneath more gradually, more and more. And then you hit this really gorgeous, beautiful chorus, and there's loads of that on this album. You've got the fucking amazing boss of the wall heavy two. Uh, the opening of Michael Break is groovy as fuck. There's breakdowns all over the album. There's one on the Outcast, Overexposure, and Aftermath. Those three are absolutely ridiculous. And there's actually one part of the record which did catch me out a bit. I didn't really see it coming. Um, there's a track called One Choice. And It's got a real like classic metal structure. Um, like, and the bassist Jim Riley has got unbelievable backing vocals on this album. It's just un- ridiculous. And do you know how I know this album is fucking amazing? Because we've been speaking about it for 16 minutes. We haven't even mentioned who produced this album yet. Will Putney. <laughs> Will Putney and Jeremy fucking McKinnon produced this album. Do you know what I mean? We haven't yeah, even mentioned that. Will, Will Putney's my favourite producer. We haven't even mentioned it. It's irrelevant. It doesn't make it. But he's—I uh, <laughs> mean, his production is brilliant, on it? It's fantastic, yeah. but it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's Who getting to the
1: point it? where if we took, if we say that production on albums good, just assume it's Will Putney unless we tell you otherwise. Yeah. Um. But do you see what I'm saying now? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um. The production is like the fifth best thing about this album, after. The instrumentation, the songwriting, the context, all the other stuff, all the bits and bobs. It's just a terrific album. It's just a terrific album, and it's really well balanced. Really, really, really well balanced. I don't feel like I'm being bludgeoned by heaviness for the sake of it. I don't feel like I'm being force-fed um, melodic choruses for a band from a band that wants to, to 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 go up the charts or whatever it might be. I feel like it's a nice, perfect blend between punching me in the throat and and, and holding me and it, it's it's wonderful <laughs> uh, and i think i think that's 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 the key here you want metal core needs to have a, a a blend of of hard and light and dark and light so so to speak hard and soft and this really really bridges that gap um really quite nicely and then just to, as you get towards the
0: end of the album, they've got the one-two of Phoenix Rise and Begin Again. I mean, I could I could listen to that seven minutes every day for the rest of my life. Phoenix Rise <laughs> is like straight-up classic double bass drum to uh, the guys Side track, which, they, they, as I've mentioned, they are the kings of. And then Begin Again is this, like, career-spanning piece of work, like literally... If you go back and listen to Ghost Inside albums and then listen to Begin Again, you'll hear Between the Lines from their album that came out in 2010 called Returners, in the in terms of the clean guitar. You'll hear Engine 45 from Get What You Gives album in terms of like the massive chorus. And then you'll hear um Dear Youth um from their last album with the Wolves in terms of its huge crescendo at the end. That song is absurd. Begin again. I, I, I fucking love it. And Phoenix Rose, that comes before it, I could just listen to that seven minutes. All day, every day. Fucking amazing. Um, you remove every bit of emotion from this album. And I still think it's really, really phenomenal. Um, it's the best metalcore band in the world doing what brought them to the dance. I'm so grateful this album exists. I can't believe it does but somehow this album exists, and thank fuck it does. What an amazing, amazing record by an amazing group of musicians. Absolutely. Well, the way to end the show, fuck, uh, heavy on the heart as usual. Uh, Do stick around now because you've got my interview with Trevor from Black Dahlia Murder, again, avoiding the surname, Uh, coming up straight after this. We are going to be back in two weeks' time. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, we're sponsored by the brilliant Stereo Brain Records. Give us a like on the video on YouTube and give us a subscription if you can. And if you do get a chance in listening to a podcast, give us a five-star rating if you would. We love you very much. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Bye. So I'm joined by Trevor, vocalist of the legendary uh, death metal band uh,
2: Black Dahlia Murder. How are you doing, Trevor? You good? I'm very well. I'm just uh, chilling like a villain in uh, New York on lockdown. And uh, thankfully, feeling the positive vibes from the new album release.
0: You know, I, I started my introduction off for you there, like calling you like this, like legendary death metal band, which I guess you absolutely are. But like, you're such a laid back person uh, and such a laid back band. Like, did you ever like consider yourselves as veterans of of extreme metal? Do you even look that far into it?
2: Um, I I'm starting to now, like, um. There's so many young kids coming to our shows and looking at me like I'm an old wizard now <laughs> <laughs> compared to when we first came out and we were sold as, like, this young band, you know what I mean? And uh, we've seen um, a lot of bands coming up that are influenced by Black Delia Murder, which is just a huge, huge compliment. It's very flattering, you know? So I feel like we're at least, like, of an older generation now than we once were. You know what I mean? Um, a different generation than Cannibal Corpse, surely, but yeah. um, kind of like an older generation still.
0: Is there like in a the level
2: of the so, youth?
0: Sorry, um, is there like a level of responsibility that you feel at this point in terms of, you know, do you feel responsible to try and nurture new bands coming through or try and book bands on certain bills that you would potentially book, obviously further down the line now? But do, do you feel like? you're in this position now where you've got, you've achieved this status and now it's on you to try and bring through the next generation. Do you, like, again, do you think of it like that?
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I think of, um, you know, like that we have such a high profile platform for an extreme band. And, uh, I try to use my voice to lift other bands up. And, uh, it, it really began with the, uh, the column I was doing at uh, metal injection, the Obituarist where every month I put, like, 20 to 30 new releases up and, like, talk about them and stuff. And it's evolved now into a Spotify playlist that I do every month. But, um, yeah, we're always trying to, like, uh, help out other bands. And, um, you know, like, I think there's no room for being so selfish where you can't talk about another band. You know what I mean? Like, if if they're too afraid of giving your fans away, or something like that's the wrong way to look at it man we're all in this together i want the scene to flourish i want people to hear all this great music that's coming out like it's like a a renaissance time for for death metal there's just so much great music in the underground and um i also saw like a real hole in metal media for like the specific bands i'm into So I thought, well, why don't I like get in on this and try to help these bands out? And, uh, the response has been tremendous. You know, the fans are very thankful. Um, you know, like we're not giving our fans away to these other bands. Like the fans like thank are thankful for it, you know? And, um, I try to, uh, with the tours that we book, I try to take out, uh, younger bands that I think are cool, uh, from all different walks of heavy music. Um, you know, kind of honoring like our misfit place in the universe where um, you know, there's been a genre fight following Black Dahlia Murder ever since day one. You know, anytime we post online, there's like twenty comments of people battling over what genre we are. But we kinda learn to play it from all angles and like we we've done all kinds of tours, you know. We toured with um um like I'm the most comfortable personally on a a, a more death metal tour, but we've done like Tours with hardcore bands. We've done tours with, with um, deathcore, metalcore, more traditional kind of metal. and We did um, Black Label Society, which was different route for us. So we're always trying to kind of honor the public perception of the band, and not just how we see it. You know what I mean? Like if I had it my way, we would just be like, from the very beginning, we would have been seen as um, a death metal band. And, um, we would have been accepted by the long hair, leather clad conglomerate with open arms. And, uh, that just didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like they took one look at us and we're like, what is this? Metalcore or what is this? Some- something else? You know what I mean? And, uh, honestly, our misfit status has been like one of our biggest strengths, I find. I look out in the crowd at a BDM show and I see every walk of, of the underground there. I see punks, I see, you know, very traditional metal heads with leather jackets. I see, you know, people that like deathcore, I see everything. And um, yeah, man, like, I don't really care what people call us anymore. You know, as long as, as long as they like it, I'm thankful, you know.
0: You mentioned something really interesting there about uh, you being like, somewhat like misfits when you were, when you were first getting started. And and that actually links greatly to a point I was going to make because uh, you got going in like the early two thousands, and at that point, like new metal was like the biggest thing, and and death metal, even though death metal never has been like the, the mainstream area of metal. Um, it did seem to be on somewhat of a downward curve because of the rise of new metal, but you guys turn up on stage wearing like Hawaiian shirts <laughs> uh, and you make like this real image for yourself. Was that like, were you having conversations where it was like, death metal's not the in thing at the moment, so we'll just do whatever we think's cool, and if people turn up, great?
2: No, it was kind of accidental, really. It started with like, at first, we didn't even want to have pictures taken of us. We didn't want anyone to know we were just these weird, like short-haired nerd kids, you know? We thought, like, the music would be able to do the talking. And uh, eventually, I don't know, like, uh, we just started to see that people thought, I don't know, I think that in a way, by being these kind of nerdy characters, we empowered a lot of young people to, like, try to make their own bands. Like, they looked at me and were like, hell, if that nerd dude can do this, like, why can't we, you know? So I think, like, kind of just letting our personality hang out a little bit more with each year, just, like, I don't know, it excited the fans. It made us more um, personable to the fans, I think. Um, It helped kind of break down that, that, like, wall of, um, you know, like, we're seeing them as equals, you know, not, like, looking down at them from the stage, really. And uh, yeah, like, like once we started to realize, like, like I remember with Miasma, that was the, the tour with the Hawaiian shirts and uh, the promo shots we took for that had us like punching each other in the face <laughs> yeah, and, like, I and like, nobody was doing that yet. Like, you know, everything was so serious. And um, for us, it was just kind of like, to me, like it was a big four kind of attitude like anthrax you know just like would wear a hawaiian shirt or like shorts or you know they had like comedic kind of aspects to what they did in a little in ways but they were still a serious band at heart but um i think that was where we got the confidence kind of like let it hang out in that way you know
0: Someone I was speaking to uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I actually had a big disagreement with, with them about this, but they, they were saying to me that they felt that sometimes extreme metal has suffered from having uh, too many cooks in the kitchen in the sense of genres, that there's too many sub-genres of extreme metal. And I, I said, actually i used use Black Dahlia Murder as an example, I, was, I said if it wasn't for the such diversity in sub-genres that have come from extreme metal, Bands like Black Dahlia and Murder would never have been able to create such different sounds on their records. Do do you think that you personally as a band have benefited from diversity in extreme metal, from uh, tech death to melodic death metal to deathcore?
2: Oh, for sure. You know, I feel like uh, we're definitely a melting pot of sounds and different eras of metal. You know, some classic heavy metal, but also a bit of that tech death. Thing too and um, yeah like I'm thankful that the genres have just gone so many different directions and the lines have been so effectively blurred that there is a place for us there is a place for like bands that don't fit a certain mold you know um, uh, like I said it's been very interesting how this has all played out to be advantageous where at first like All I wanted was to be considered just a true death metal band and to play with death metal bands. And um, that's where I thought it would end, you know. But uh, really around the second record when Metal Blade put us on OzFest, that was something I never, ever, ever could have imagined for us. That we would be accessible enough for those kind of avenues and we've done a lot of, um, you know, Soundwave. We've done um, Sounds of the Underground here in the States. We've done Mayhem, uh, Warp Tour. Like, we've done so many high-profile, like, big tours like that, like, mixed festivals. And um, it just wasn't the trajectory I had imagined. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of like embracing... Our whole misfit position has been, like, the smartest thing that we've ever done, pretty much, as a band.
0: I've always found uh, Black Dahlia Murder, like, a really interesting case study. Because it's almost like uh, the band lives in two worlds. Like, musically, you're all business. There's no messing around on any Black Dahlia Murder records. But, like, as people away from the mic, everything's a lot more laid back and fun. And, like, does it help? like the the status of the band the fact that you've got this ability to completely switch off from the seriousness as soon as the final chord is played then you can go back to like dicking around and being like and having fun instead of being like 24 7 constantly switched on
2: oh yeah like i'm glad we didn't paint ourselves into that corner where we have to like wear corpse paint all day and like act like dickheads all the time to like maintain this like evil presence you know what i mean like yeah. i just could never straight face that like i'm i have so much fun on stage i i'm smiling every show i cannot help it like i can't just be up there scowling um so um yeah just like letting our personality hang out like with how we carry ourselves on stage and between shows and stuff like that um i think it's been a strong suit of ours too i think it's attractive to people to us, you know, just as much as the music, and um, yeah, you know, I'm just like a show to me is a celebration, man. It's just a celebration of this entire thing of the the underground, of our music, of our brotherhood as metalheads, and uh, I can't help but like laugh and like have a good time, you know. It's um it's a special thing. It's awesome, and uh, there's definitely room in the world for the evil bands that are evil 24 seven. I love them, too. Like, I'm a fan, you know what I mean? Like, of all different walks of the underground. and uh, But it's just not us. You know, we're just fans first, I think. And we've worn that on our sleeve. And, uh, you know, I think people appreciate that.
0: Before we get into new record verminous, because there's a lot to digest there and talk about, um, if we just take a quick look back through a uh, discography uh, do, do you think it's fair to say that like, Nocturnal was like the real turning point for the band in terms of the interest peaking straight from there? I mean, you, as a band, you've always had phenomenal record sales, and obviously record sales mean somewhat less in 2020 than they did in the late 2000s. But do you think it's fair to say that Nocturnal was like a real point where you would have realised oh, shit, we really got some good here. This is really moving forward.
2: Oh, yeah, that was exactly the moment. Um, it was getting that summer slaughter tour together that we we filmed for the Majesty DVD, uh, where we were top of the bill of, like, Cataclysm, Cryptopsy, Vader, Aborted, Psychroptic, Whitechapel, Despised Icon, just, like, tons of my favorite bands, bands that I worship. And we were headlining, you know what I mean? Like, and it was working, like tons of people were showing up. It was um, probably the most amazing time in this whole ride, honestly. Like, it was just like, if you watch that DVD of us from that era, Majesty, you see how happy we are. You see how amazing the experience was and how, like, it was just realizing like, wow, this thing is really snowballing into something amazing you know like holy shit and uh yeah definitely nocturnal was that turning point and it was the first album we did where we like wrote the demos with pro tools and kind of took that jump into like the present of music you know what i mean and um it helped us really flesh that album out to a higher degree of detail than the previous two records and uh, the end product was just more wholly realized. So that would start, like, basically define what we do now, our, our, our whole process, you know? So in that way, it was a turning point. But just that the band got so big so fast and that we are at the top of that monster bill across the, the state. And, you know, it's just like, wow, man, it was just, just insane. So we've just been trying to see the opportunity that we've been given by Metal Blade through ever since Unhallowed, you know? And um, it's just been a snowballing out of control, just slowly getting bigger and bigger with each record. And, you know, like, it's, it's amazing. It's been an unreal experience.
0: You were still really young, though, uh, during the nocturnal uh, record cycle. So is it difficult or was it difficult for you to stay grounded during this period where everything seems to be going well and people are turning to the shows, people are buying the merch, the CDs. Is it difficult to keep everyone at the same level of appreciation for how lucky you are as opposed to, okay, let's move on to the next step. Let's try and break top 20 billboard.
2: Uh, Well, we never really think about – we mostly think about just getting more fans – and like staying our course, you know, being Black Dahlia murder. But um I mean there were times I think where maybe the success went to our heads a little bit, like maybe coming in to deflorate off of Nocturnals, like huge, huge success. Um, you know, you just it starts to feel like you can't do any wrong. You know what I mean? Like you just like like I don't know. And then um that record wasn't Uh, responded to as well as we'd hoped Um, and I think um, we learned a lot from that album in retrospect Uh, I think we tried to go a little bit too technical and the songs were um, just a barrage like just constantly in the red constantly you know full blast and um, you know it wasn't until like ritual that we realized we had to like really think about dynamics instead. Think about slowing it down. Think about relenting at certain parts and, like, giving some breathing room and, like, incorporating other instruments and just trying to make things more three-dimensional. You know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, I think there's, there, there were moments where um, we were high on our own farts, maybe a little bit, you know?
0: <laughs> I mean, that's has to happen. That's why I asked it, because I thought surely at some point earning that much success at such a young age surely someone you know it's just human nature to start getting a little bit overly excited that's just what people do uh, and I thought as tremendous as you are surely there's been at some point where you slightly strayed
2: yeah yeah I look at like I like Deflerate looking back but I see it as a slight misstep uh, about what I'd said and uh the second record too I think we were like riding so high on all the attention from unhallowed, on, on that um, I don't think we were like as razor focused at that moment as we should have been, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, looking back, like a uh, miasma, like, especially thematically visually um, the artwork and stuff, it's not my most proud moment of the albums of the whole of the whole ride. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I definitely think there were a couple moments where, um, yeah, we were just riding high and, um, you know what I mean? Maybe just just took it a little bit for granted, you know?
0: You've said, I've read this in interviews, uh, with you, and I think I've seen you say it in interviews as well, that uh, you, you tend to steer away from going into uh, producing a record and having like a preset idea of what the record's going to sound like. It's much more organic. It's much more the idea of dudes being in a studio, creating there and then that mindset did that come from a previously bad experience or is that just because you know the band so well that you know working organically would be better than having a
2: preset idea um we just have always been this way we every album is just the next batch of songs that we wrote and uh there's a certain evolution between every album for sure definitely some growth but um I think the only time we really stopped and had like a mission statement going into the album was Ritual after Deflerate. And it was like having a conversation, like why didn't this album resonate as much with people? And we realized we were just cramming too much info in into each song and making it so technical and so fast that like, it started to seem like samey, you know what I mean? Or like if the album is in the red the entire time, it becomes just like static to the listener. So uh, that was uh, really the only time we talked about like, all right, let's um, make some parts that are like slow and wide open and simple. And, you know, let's have some slower parts. Let's, um, you know, we, we began to see the merits of, Really mixing it up and really like introducing a variety and, um, in an approach, you know. And uh, but that's the I swear that's the only time we've ever had any kind of a conversation before making a record. And um, yeah, we all just kind of let it flow, man. Like, honestly, uh, Verminus is the next batch of songs that we wrote after Nightbringers, you know. And um, I feel like the want to be more various the want to be more dynamic and exciting on those terms has been an underlying mission statement for the last while but it's not something we ever like talk about it's just like a gradual kind of mutation toward that
0: that leads brilliantly into my next question you get you're really good at this (laughs) um I, I said in my review uh, of the record that I thought it was really great how you you picked this legendary death metal band on their ninth album and they're still looking to try something new, adding elements of new levels of creativity. And that's one of the things that I think Verminus is so great for. But do you think you're a band that would ever look back hazily at the idea of Oh man we did spend three albums sounding kind of the same. Is that something you would, would see like bothering you further on down the line if there was like this patch where you think you didn't really push yourselves creatively?
2: Um no nah, man, I mean I still look back very proudly at the back catalog and I still like playing the songs from from the record, you know, but I do feel like um that this is going to be something of a turning point to a more creative Um, end product you know I feel like we've gotten our creative wings with this record in a way and um, I feel like there's still like we haven't stagnated like I feel so excited about the band still and what we're doing and about creating with the band and I see us as being in our infancy still in terms of what we're capable of as a band so I see uh, so long term for this thing And, um, but yeah, I am proud of everything we've done. I, I respect that people like certain albums more than others or like, you know, people have different favorite records of ours. Um, I understand all that and we try to honor our catalog live, you know what I mean? And like give people what they want in that regard. But, uh, I don't want to be a band that just rests on their laurels of like, I don't want to be like the scorpions and just play old songs over and over and not think about the present tense and the future, you know, especially when I feel like we're getting to such a creative point right now. And so like, it's really coming to this creative boil, it feels like. So I'm really excited for the future. It feels really bright. And um, yeah, man, like uh, just, just, Always living in the present and thinking about uh, thinking about the future with this band.
0: Tracks like Dawn of Rats and Hair Very Dead have got this real, like, anthemic pumping feel to them, which I, I just didn't expect, you know, pressing play. One of the real left turns of the record that I just absolutely loved. Um, when you're sitting down writing these songs, it, was it challenging to keep that black dahlia murder classic intensity but also then add in this new element
2: of like almost you know like a
0: chorus pump
2: it was a uh, kind of natural i guess um from my own point of view i tried to um sing a bit less on this record not crowd the music as much as i have in the past i have a tendency to like write 10 zillion lyrics per song <laughs> and just be a motor mouth you know So I tried to slow my delivery down and have less words, but have them be more clear in hopes of like further hooking people into the music, you know, like being catchier on our own terms, you know? And uh, yeah, it's definitely taken a turn for the anthemic for sure. The music. And I tried to respond to that. Um, just like the best I could, like try to make like the best lyrics I could, and uh, um, really like make stuff clear and like r- really focus on making stuff that resonates, you know. Like, um, like in a way, it's more accessible for it, but we're still us. We're still extreme. It's still death metal, you know. It's still largely fast music and aggressive music. But um, you know, just realizing how to to make the songs more powerful with this epic slant, I think was like the biggest development of this whole record, I think. And
1: um,
0: so before I carry on, I just want to make sure we're good for time. I'm not keeping you too long. Am I? No,
2: no, you're the last one, man. We can go as nuts as you want.
0: Awesome. Cause, um, I'm one of these guys who wants to start talking. It's kind of hard to get me to stop. So, um, I'll, I'll keep going. I've only got a few more questions anyway, but I didn't want to keep you from anything. Um, you know, I, I, I watched uh, the Majesty documentary today. I hadn't seen it for a while, uh, but I've I I watched it back. And uh, there, there are parts of that documentary I just completely forgot about. Uh, and one of the things that just it just brought a smile on my face when I was watching it. Um, there's a moment where it's like quite at the start of the documentary, actually. And it's talking about when you, you know, you first signed to Metal Blade and one of the executives like you showed your ass to them on like the first time you met them. Um and that was just like the sort the, of like sort of classic Black Dahlia murder attitude. So you know, so fun living. Has there ever been a moment where like you started to stray away from your own personality because the realism of you know touring and the the toll it takes on you can like kind of seclude that from you.
2: I mean, um. I'm not always in the best mood. You know, I'm not, I'm a human being. and I get tired out there sometimes. And, uh, there's been exchanges with people that I'm not proud of. And, um, but I think most, mostly like that is the real me that, you know, that jovial kind of, uh, comedic personality, um, a jokester, uh, kind of self deprecating in a way. Um, that is definitely me. And that is, that is real, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I felt like, I feel like I've stayed really grounded throughout this in in uh, in the face of so much success. And, um, I, I don't know. Like, um, I just don't think there's room for egos. I don't think there's room for, for, um, I don't know, that kind of negative attitude, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm very thankful to have people surrounding me in this band that are very positive, very fun to be around. We've always kind of, even though we've had so many members through the band, we've always been striving to have this certain personality that we exude as a band. And it's that like friendship really, that's like the strength behind all of this. You know, we have a lot of laughs together. We honestly care about each other. We're friends first and, um, you know, we split everything equally. There's no hierarchy of, like, me being the elder member with Brian or anything like that. We're all splitting shit all evenly. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know. Like, I, I just thought honesty would, would be the best policy, kind of, you know?
0: You're a, You're the perfect person for me to ask this question because you've been on the front line for two decades now. Why what, what is it, do you think, that... Because I, I would say that nostalgia plays a part in heavy and extreme metal more than any other genre, and so much of heavy and extreme metal is constantly looking back at what other people thought the heyday was, like the 80s or the 90s. Do you think there's an actual reason why there are this certain section of... Uh, metal slash extreme metal fans that just refuse to look past anything that didn't come out before
2: 1994? Uh, yeah. You know, I see all different kinds of walks of people and I see death metal going in so many different ways. There's, um, you know, tech metal, like that's focusing on being the most Olympic playing or the, the fastest or the most technical or the most, you know, just, like, information per second in a song. And then there's the complete opposite, where some young people are making these uh, old-school death metal bands that sound like Autopsy in 1990, you know? And they're focused on atmosphere. They're focused on, like, being more cinematic. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I really... I I feel like metal, like you said, it's the uh, one of the only genres where people care about the past and like albums become legendary and classics. Where in pop music, uh, everything is flavor of the moment. Yeah, and it's just like chucked out the window after six months. And it's like it's made to be disposable. Like it doesn't have that passion in it. I don't feel like, and um, so. I don't know. Like we're always kind of pulling from all different corners of, of things like classic heavy metal a bit more on this record, but also like cutting edge chops. And, um, you know, there's definitely a a tech metal aspect to the band for sure. And, um, yeah, you know, like I, um, I don't get when people can't respect the old, like what's come before, you know what I mean? Like without any of that stuff, there wouldn't be new bands. There wouldn't be. It's all. It's all interconnected, intertwined, you know. And like, like not giving respect to the big four or something. Like, I can't. I can't. Like even fathom thinking that way. But people, there's people out there like that. You know, it's it's wild. Yeah, it's
0: it's really interesting. Is it because, like like you said, nostalgia plays a massive part in metal, and sometimes. I'm stuck in this zone where I don't really understand why there are some people that, like, refuse to move on. Like, they're so stuck in 1986. They just want to listen to Rain and Blood every day for the rest of their lives. And if it's not as the same BPM as Rain and Blood, they're not interested. And for a band like yourself, who blend together elements of thrash and then death metal and then moments of metalcore and tech death, I just wondered whether you'd ever experienced that level of ignorance almost to what you were trying to do because you don't sound exactly like morbid angel.
2: Oh, of course, you know, it's, we've been kind of like filling this backlash ever since the first record, uh, where, you know, we, we thought we were just doing, uh, true death metal. And, uh, some people just didn't see it that way. You know, some people didn't see it as like, staying the course, but rather like bastardizing, um, what they like, you know, I, I, in a way I can admire that, that rain and blood guy, like that he's so convicted about that specific time and that specific vibe. Like if that's what floats his boat, man, fucking more power to him. You know what I mean? But, uh, for us, it's definitely a melting pot of not only sounds but different eras of metal too and um, it's definitely a Frankenstein that we've built this this sound this band you know
1: you know if if
0: Verminus did end up being for whatever reason let's just pretend that Verminus was the final chapter in the Black Dahlia murder, Murder Legacy do you feel like you've accomplished everything you could possibly hope for
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, we could have quit several albums ago and I would have felt fulfilled. Um, all I wanted to do initially was make one album. Like I wanted to have an album on a real label that would get reviewed and we'd be able to go play shows out of town on it. And I'd be able to show my mom and go, look, look what I did. You know, <laughs> this is obviously gone so, 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 so far beyond all that, that like, I'm just enjoying every minute of it, man. It's been a literal dream come true for me. And um, all this other, like, more albums and more popularity is all just an added bonus, you know? Like, I, 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 I met that, that goal that I wanted to meet, you know, so, so, so long ago. But um, I just have to see, like, where this takes us. I'm just curious of what we can do and what we can achieve and we've had so much good fortune and so much so many like victories big and small this entire ride that like i feel a responsibility to just keep going and just see what happens
0: you're one of the musicians that i've always wanted uh, to interview because of um your quite obvious like passion for the industry, and even like before we we came on to do the show, like I said to you, uh, you must have done loads of these today. I'll, I'll try and keep it entertaining for you, and you just you're just excited to talk about the band and music, which are, it makes it so easy for me. So you know, final question here, and then I'm gonna let, leave you to have your evening. Um, with how passionate you are, it sounds to me like you would happily sign the dotted line for another five records at least, and you just carry on as long as you want to do this.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, I see no end in sight for the band, uh, creatively at all. I feel like we're just getting, we're really just spreading our wings and, and like fully realizing what we're capable of. So I see us as being young in terms of how long I want to be around for the future. So yeah, more, more years of Metal Blade ahead. And we're so thankful for them to like have taken so, Strongly to us like right out of the gate the gate and uh they're all like our family man so yeah more years more albums, more metal blade more more touring you know as soon as we're allowed and uh yeah man no signs of slowing, no signs of stopping.
0: Hey, Trevor, what an absolute honour this has been for me. Uh, thank you so much for giving me your time. Verminus is a really, really great record. Um, you should be very proud of yourselves. I've got no doubt that you are. And I can't wait till you are allowed to tour in the UK. Uh, and I will be there, man. Thank you so, so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this.
2: Nah, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for the um, kind words and positive vibes. And uh I had a great time. Take care, man. I hope to see you as soon as possible. Right on. Take care, my friend.
0: Thank thank you, bro.